This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Before I share the word this morning with you, um, uh, many of you will know that uh, this past week I've actually been in Turkey. Um, I work with um, an organization called Sat7, which is a um, Christian ministry based in the Middle East and North Africa, and that it is publishing, well publishing, it's broadcasting on four satellite TV channels 24-7 in Arabic, um, Turkish, and in Farsi. And we had our annual conference in uh, Turkey this past week. Um, There are about uh, 300 of us who who gathered, and there were a bunch of meetings as well as sort of updates. But clearly, it being in Turkey, it was really moving because of the the earthquake. And before I um, uh, bring the word today, I just want to spend five minutes sharing with you what our Christian brothers and sisters in Turkey were sharing with us. So um, this uh, first photograph um, that's being put up on the screen, uh, you can see me on, the, uh, on, on your right. Uh, Mehdi, who's uh, next to me, is the executive director for Sat7 Turk. Um, in Turkey, he's a, a known face. He's the star of many um, uh, secular soap uh, operas, uh, soap operas, soap uh, programs, but he has left that to become the executive director. And um, Anna Marie is next to him, and then Omar, who is um, uh, on the on your left, is the um, uh, oh golly, uh, dig- uh, digital director. So he looks after all the stuff going onto the um, onto the internet and that sort of stuff. Omar actually comes from the region where the earthquake took place. All of the Sat7 Turk team know people who have lost their lives. One of the members has lost 25 of their family um, through, this, uh, through this earthquake. So the whole team have been really shaken by what happens. But um, the other thing to bear in mind is the, the earthquake area. It's about the size of Switzerland. That's how large the destruction is. Um, Mehdi was saying that there is about, um, formally, or uh, the official figures, that 45,000 people have died, but they believe it's, it's much higher than that. The earthquake happened a month ago. Many, much of the support that it originally went in has now been withdrawn because people are focused on other matters. And in Turkey, they're focused on the elections. So there's, there's a great need there. Since the earthquake, a lot of the tents have been washed away, that uh, were put up because of the floods, the cold weather continues, and people are still really struggling. That area is the, uh, the, the seat of the early church in Christianity. So there are a lot of old buildings in, in that area. The Turkish Christians, old churches, sorry, the Christians um, in Turkey are really struggling at the moment. They make up less than 1% of the population. And although that is where Christianity um, originated, and we read about it in the Acts of the Apostles, 
They're, they are under great pressure being told Turkey is an Islamic country. And so the team are really trying to raise the profile of, um, of the, the churches, their heritage, in order to strengthen the Turkish Christians, because the Tur Turkish Christians are often um, persecuted in, indirectly. They're, they're discriminated against. So they've produced two videos. The first one I want to show you is only a minute long, but it shows the destruction of the churches, the old churches in there. And you might think, well, so what? You know, people have lost their homes. Yes, they have, and that is really, really tragic. But these churches for the Christians represent their identity. So I just want to show that video, and then I've got one more to show uh, to you. However, there is a message of hope and a message of encouragement that we were given. Because as soon as this earthquake occurred, they were broadcasting it on Sat Seven Turk, and they, their channel is actually on a government satellite, so everyone throughout Turkey gets it in their home. The churches of Turkey flooded to that area to provide support and help. And they were going often to the areas where the government and the other agencies weren't reaching. And this has had a, a major impact on those communities in there. Um, even to the extent where the locals are saying, the Christians are here, but where's everybody else? And um, it was just folk like us throwing stuff into their homes, into their cars, sorry, and driving up there. And even the churches that have survived, or buildings that they've survived, they've been using those to reach out to the locals. And this next video, it's just two minutes, will just give you uh, an indication of, of what is happening in that area.
Mehdi was asked, what more can we do? And he said, pray. And he said, don't underestimate the power of prayer. They are seeing miracles happen out there. And every time they see a miracle, they turn and thank the Lord for the miracle, but also for those who are praying for it to, to come about. There is some amazing stuff happening there at the moment. Please continue to, to pray for that area. And pray for the team. Mehdi and his team turned around and said, we're, sorry, the, he turned around and said, we're, we're putting our emotions and our feelings and our grief on hold because we can see that the need of our people is so great and we need to be supporting them. And uh, the emotions were very raw out there. You know, it's, it's easy to, to pick it up as I think back. But we do need to be standing with our brothers and sisters and praying for them at this difficult time. So I wanted to share that with you. There's so much I could share about that conference that was hugely encouraging. But now is the time to share the word. And uh, Trace is just going to, uh, to read the passage, please. <clears throat> so the passage is taken um, from Luke. It's chapter 17, verses 20 to uh, 37. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given up in marriage. To, right up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night... Two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord? they asked. He replied, Where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Thank you. <coughs> I'm very conscious that uh, 
I'm short of time, so I'm going to really race through um, this passage. It's a difficult passage, and there is a lot of imagery in there and a lot of references um, that need explanation. So I've only got time, really, to summarize some of the key thing, themes. And so I, I, I can't go into the depth of, of those summaries, but my intention is to sort of try and pull some of this together. Because there are some very stark warnings in this passage that we cannot ignore. So it begins with a question from a Pharisee. And this question is in, um, right at the beginning. It says, um, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, why were they asking that question? And Jesus' response to this question is quite short. And he doesn't directly answer it. But then the second bit that we read, where he's talking about um, Noah and Lot and what was happening, actually he addresses just to his disciples. It was done later. So I want to take each of these in turn and provide a little explanation to you. Now, why were the um, um, Pharisees asking this question? It's quite pertinent this, that we're dealing with it today because as we learned earlier, Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey on Palm Sunday as the king, as the Messiah. That was what they were, that's what the people were seeing and expecting. And that's why they were celebrating it with palm branches. They felt their Messiah was coming to, to give to them um, relief from their persecution. But as we know, a week later, he was hanging on a cross. So, what was the reason behind the Pharisees' question? When would the kingdom of God come? What was their expectation? Their expectation was that the Messiah would come and return the kingdom of Israel back to its former glory. That's what they were looking to. However, the Pharisees were very wrapped up in their position they held within the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, there was only one king, and that was the emperor. And if you suggested that there was another, that was a, there was a death penalty to it. However, they'd set in place other kings, um, sub-kings, if you like, like Herod, which you read about in the Bible, who was um, a puppet king, who was ruling in that area, and he came from that area. Now, there was another group called the Zealots that were trying to undermine the Roman Empire. And um, again, if you're part of the Zealots, you could be uh, um, hung on a cross for, for treason. So if Jesus starts declaring when this kingdom is going to come, then they had a, a reason for um, sending him to the cross. But Jesus responds to it in a really interesting way. He says, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. You can't see it. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. So, what does he mean by that? Well, he continues this discourse afterwards with his disciples. And we read about that in the next paragraph between verses 22 to 25. And when he's talking about the kingdom of God, he de describes the, the return of what he calls the Son of Man. 
And there's only one reference to the Son of Man in the Old Testament, which is with, with Daniel. So this was, was a, a term that they weren't completely familiar with. They're aware of it. They dissected theologically what Messiah meant, but not this term. And he says that the, there'll be many false sightings of the Son of Man. Man. Some say he's here, some say he's there, and we, we get that today. But Jesus makes the point that you won't be able to miss when the Son of Man returns. And he describes it in quite a stunning, glorious way. But he finishes that paragraph in, in verse 25, but saying, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now, the fact that the Messiah would be rejected was completely outside the theology of the Pharisees or the Jews at the time. But of course, we know that Jesus was rejected and was thrown on a cross. He then goes on to say in the next two bits, he starts comparing the day with the days of Noah and Lot. Well, those of you who know the story of, of Noah will remember that things got so depraved in that time that God um, wiped out man with a, with a flood but saved Noah and his family because they were uh, seen as, as righteous and were continuing to follow uh, the Lord. The story of Lot is that, um, again, the depravity of man in the towns of Sodom and Gomorrah were so great, you know, there was um, you know, incest, there was rape, that it was, it was just, the society was crumbling. Um, and, but Lot was, again, a righteous man that um, the Lord spoke to Lot, to, told him to leave the village, uh, to leave the, the town, because he was going to affect his judgment on that, um, on that town. There was no hope for it. But as he, and he was told that as you leave, don't look back. But as they were leaving, Lot's wife turned around to take one last look, <coughs> one last look at, um, at this area. And uh, she, she turned into a um, pillar of salt. But the Lord destroyed um, Sodom and Gomorrah, and often the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are referred to in the Old Testament. So he's reminding, reminding the people to, to think back to, to those times in terms of what was um, going on. And some of this can be, um, be quite difficult to, to understand, particularly as we look at the next section in verses 34 to 36. Um, he talks about those... Uh, sorry... Uh, sorry, verses 30, 30 to 36. And I just want to read these, because having talked about um, Lot, he then says, it will be just like this on the day of the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of the house with his goods inside should go down and get them. Likewise, one who is in the field shouldn't go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that day, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding grain, 
together. One will be taken and the other left. What is he trying to say here? The church is often described as the bride of Christ. And that despite our sins, despite the things that we've done wrong in the past, despite our failures, all of that has been forgiven. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And he made us pure again. So that as a bride, we can come and enjoy an intimate relationship with our husband, with Christ. But if the bride starts slipping back into her old life, what's going to happen? That relationship is going to be undermined. It's going to be destroyed. There might be a tendency, like Lot's wife, to look back on old pleasures or those things that just gave you that meaning in, in the in the past, those things that sort of give you happiness when you're really struggling in your circumstances at the moment. But whilst that might provide short-term support, is undermining the relationship that you now have with your, with your new husband. And it's the same with us. If we're stepping into a relationship with Christ, we have been forgiven for what happened in the past, but we need to wholly submit ourselves, commit ourselves into that new relationship because otherwise it's going to be a poor reflection of what it really could be. There's stuff in there that is undermining it. It tarnishes that new relationship. And this is what he's trying to bring out with this second section. We can't take it for granted that just because you commit yourself to God that that's it signed, sealed, I'm going to go to heaven, everything's okay now. The Lord expects us to change our life because of the impact that we have on others and also on the impact that we have on that relationship that we are having within, with him. And that's why he compares it with, um, with that of a marriage. Now, the disciples' response to this is quite interesting because in verse 37, having gone through this great dialogue, they turn around and says, where, Lord? And this is after he was talking about um, one man being taken from a, a field and, and someone being taken from, from the room. You know, they're interested in where's this going to, where have they gone? And his response, again, is really difficult because he turns around and says, he replied, where there is a dead body... There the vultures would gather. What on earth is going on here? And I was really unsure what, what this was saying. Because we, we know that vultures circle over the area where there's death. They gather around a carcass. And this passage is also found in Matthew 28, but in, uh, verses 8 to 51. But interestingly, what is covered there, you don't hear about the Pharisees' question. It's actually the disciples that ask the question, when will this happen? And again, he talks about the return of the Son of Man. He encourages them to read the signs of the time. He loops back to Lot and Noah and emphasizes the need to be ready 
to keep watch because you don't know when this is going to, um, to have happen. But again, there's this reference to vultures and a carcass. In Matthew, he goes on then to talk about um, the Son of Man returning. So what are we to make of all of this? What are the key messages? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, the kingdom of God isn't necessarily what you're expecting. It wasn't what the Pharisees were expecting. It wasn't what the Jews, the other um, Jews were expecting at the time. It wasn't even what the disciples were expecting. God brings about his kingdom through the sacrificial death of his son. And that death heralds the restoration of our relationship between the subjects and their God, between us and our heavenly father. Scripture talks about us having a new heart and focus on the world. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Our hearts have become hardened towards God. We've got wrapped up in our intellect and we think that we can run society. We think we can run the world, but just have a look around you. Have a look at our liberal democracies that were meant to be the answers that we've tried to impose upon the uh, Middle East. Men and women seeking after their own ends in that. Look at business and what it's doing, how it's prospering one at the expense of others. Look at the conflicts that exist in the Middle East, the power struggles between China, Russia, um, and NATO. You know, wherever we look in the world, there are tensions. Look at our families. There are tensions there. Yes, we're holding it together at times, but it's not a perfect situation. We haven't got the utopia that everyone dreams of. And everyone is carrying baggage and having to deal with many of these um, struggles. But God is offering a different kingdom, a kingdom that is based upon relationship, a kingdom that restores us in our lives with our Heavenly Father. And as that relationship of love with Him and acceptance with Him is addressed, out of the overflow of that, we're then able to minister to others. Think about those images in Turkey. The Turkish churches were so um, uh, concerned with what was going on that they went to help their brothers and sisters. I heard stories of villages in uh, the earthquake zone who received provisions, but then heard of other villages where no one had been to, and they then took what they'd received to those other places. Knowing who you are in God and having that love in him gives you the strength and enables you then to, out of the overflow of that relationship, to um, minister and have an impact upon others. The kingdom of God isn't what they were expecting. What are we expecting? Do we really understand what the word of God is and what evidence there is that underpins what has been shared there? And the second point is the return of the Son and the Messiah. The Son of Man, sorry the Messiah, was not what was being expected. They expected him to bring an earthly kingdom, but he came to die on a cross to make that restoration possible. This, the scripture also says that he will return again. He will return again to take his own uh, to him. 
Do we believe that? The warning and challenge of this past is really that question, will we be ready? Will we have taken heed of the warnings that exist? Will we have acknowledged who he is and what he's done? Will we have accepted him as Lord in all senses of that uh, word, recognizing him as Lord and Savior of, of being up, bring us out of sin, but also continuing to live a life that's in submission to him? And whilst for us who like freedom, that feels a scary proposition, when you're submitting to a heavenly father who loves you and cares for you, actually that's a secure position. Which of us as heavenly fathers and, and mothers would actually do anything that is going to be detrimental to our children. We do have to say no at times, but that no is done out of our heart of love if our relationship is pure and we worship a pure God. We cannot hold on to the past. It undermines our relationship with him. Will we be ready or will we be wrapped up in the world like in the days of Noah, like Lot's wife who had to keep looking back, like vultures, hanging around the carcass. This is a disturbing passage, and we had a lot of fun at the beginning, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm breaking some of that, but this is what the Word of God says, and we can ignore it, or we can actually look at it <clears throat> and do something about it as it affects our life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Whoever comes, whoever wants to go to the Father needs to come through me. John 14, verse 6. <clears throat> he came and died on the cross to save us. We've got a choice. How are we going to respond? Will he be Lord of our life? Or do we not trust him and want to do things our way? Sorry, I'm drawing up. I want to end there. I apologize, I've gone on. But um, I think we do need to dwell upon these, these passages and understand them. You know, <clears throat> if we believe God is alive, we can't pick and choose. We need to submit ourselves to what he's saying. But we can stand on a firm foundation because we know that we are following the God who loves us and cares us and wants the very best for us. <coughs> We're going to close now. And um, I just want to, as I close, I just want to pray. And I also want to pray the, uh, the prayer of, uh, of accept, acceptance. And, you know, this is a prayer where you turn around and say, Lord, I know I've got it wrong but actually I do want to follow you. And there are a number of components here which needs to come from the heart. It's an acknowledgement of who God is. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus was, is the Son of God, that he died for us. He died for our sins. And that as we come to him, if we accept that, if we ask full forgiveness of our sins, then he will forgive us and he will renew our heart. But as we're doing that, we're doing that so that he can then become Lord of our life. And it's recognizing 
him in that. So I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to go on to this prayer. If you are in a position where you want to say it, then please say it with me. Uh, in, in your heart, it doesn't need to be out loud. Um, and do tell someone afterwards. But um, this, is, this is serious, and we need to acknowledge it. Coming along to church and, and following the Lord isn't just um, a social thing. It's a life commitment thing. And certainly for me, it has been something that has turned my life around. And I know there are many who would um, say the same. But it's not a one-off thing. It's something that we need to be continually doing if we're to live in the full fruit of everything that he has for us. Father, I thank you that you love us, you care for us, that you sent your son to die for us. Lord, we continually make mistakes. We think we can do things our way. We get wrapped up in our own um, focus, our own perceptions of what's going on around about us. But there is a lot of destruction in this world. There is a lot of pain. And we just want to uh, come before you now. I thank you for this word. I pray that you would um, continue to just touch our hearts in those areas that have come from you. And Father, I just pray that you would be with those who are seeking you, who are looking for you. And I just pray that you would reveal yourself to them in all your glory and power and splendor and love, that the peace and joy that you promise would be poured out into their hearts. So if you want to say this prayer with me, please feel free to do so. Father God, Today I confess that Jesus is my Lord and Saviour. I declare that Jesus' death and resurrection has made me well. I invite you, Jesus, to fill me with your Spirit. Empower me from the inside out to live for you. I am saved. I am forgiven. And I'm on my way to heaven because I have Jesus in my heart. And Lord, I do pray that as if anyone has said that prayer today, that you just touch them in a way that they would know that this is real and that your love for them is real and that you're with them every step of the way in all that they're experiencing and struggling with, that they would know your love, your joy, and the glory of walking in a relationship with you as a pure bride with her husband. So Father, be with us now. Amen.